One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward and I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today I am so excited to have Dr. Sophie Brock joining me to talk all about anger in motherhood. Dr. Sophie is a sociologist and a motherhood researcher. She hosts the Good Enough Mother podcast and supports those working across various fields of motherhood support through her programs, her speaking, and her course offerings. Sophie has been a mentor for me, both unofficially at first when I was binging on her content, on her podcast episodes and all of her teachings. And then more recently when I went through a mentorship program with her. So I can speak firsthand to the importance and the incredible nature of her work. Um, I will now hand over to Sophie. Sophie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Jackie. It's always so wonderful to connect with you. And I I'm always happy to talk about anger in motherhood, this very taboo topic. So thanks for opening the conversation. Mm, it's a good one. Before we dive into that, though, I did touch briefly on um, your work and where you're at at the moment. I suppose I left out a pretty critical point too, and that is the fact that you are a mother yourself. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your work? And I suppose um, I find it particularly interesting coming from a social scientist perspective. Maybe you can talk a bit more about that. Yeah, sure thing. So I am in Sydney in Australia and I have a four-year-old daughter. I'm a single mom as well. And I'm always curious when we do these introductions because we have to draw on these particular labels, don't we, to mm. describe to people who it is that we are for them to be able to situate us in a particular way and get this snapshot of our identity and what we represent. And as a social scientist, that's what I'm curious about. I'm really interested in the ways that as people, we need to situate ourselves within a social context. And I'm specifically interested in that for mothers and motherhood. So uh, I kind of make the comparison of if you think about a scientist who walks into their lab with their white coat on and they get their microscope and they examine a specimen under their microscope, a social scientist, our lab is our society, our social world. And what we study are people and communities and groups. And how we study them is through our theories, um, through talking with people, through generating data and making connections. And so that's in a nutshell what I do when it comes to focusing on the sociology of motherhood. 
and what it means for mothers to live in the world in the way that we do and how we're connected Mm. in the way that we live too. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think I first found your work through the podcast and for me it was like a series of light bulb moments one after the other, I suppose because my head was buried so deeply in looking at things from um, a cognitive or a psychological perspective that it was sort of like my whole world opened up and this was another or a really important piece um, to be considering as well. Yeah, so I think we often and probably not often enough talk about the changes that we go through when we become mothers, the changes in our relationships, the changes in our sense of identity, the changes in our work, if we've been in paid work, um, it changes you know, pretty much every dimension of our lives. But the big thing that I think is left out and what's been a big focus of my motivation in this space is to say that we also enter into a social role. You know, it's not just that we go through all these individual changes, but we enter into this new realm of what it means to be a mother. And with that comes all of these expectations and, you know, ideals that we suddenly kind of become subject to, which is a new experience for us. So having a new awareness and perspective of what this actually means, I think can give us back a sense of power and agency when trying to navigate this huge shift that we go through. Absolutely. And we will talk a little bit more about that. So um, in our chat today, as I mentioned, I would love to talk to you about the experience of anger or rage or both in motherhood. Recently, I popped up a little question sticker on my Instagram asking um, mums which taboo topics they wished were discussed more openly when it comes to topics or taboo topics related to motherhood. And the overwhelming response, the most popular response, was talking about mum anger and mum guilt. Now, I know you've got some interesting ideas to share on certainly on those topics and potentially how they're the interplay. Um, So maybe let's start with your work around the perfect mother myth. I've heard you talk about this. Can you explain the perfect mother myth to us? Sure, yeah. So as I mentioned, when we become mothers, we enter into a social realm, so a particular role. And, you know, this isn't, uh, even though I'm naming it explicitly and we'll call it the perfect mother myth here, it's something that I think listeners will be able to resonate with. Um, if you think about what were your expectations of motherhood before you became a mother, maybe you didn't want to be a mother. So why was that? Uh, maybe you really longed to be a mother. Okay, so what did you envision it would look like? What would the experience be like? And we can conjure up all of these images around, okay, what is motherhood? What does it mean to be a mother? And in our mind, the images that come forth have been developed over a really long time from when we're children ourselves in the way that we're socialised into equating being motherhood with being the kind of pinnacle of what it means to be a a full woman, a full adult person. Um, And so motherhood in some ways is kind of put on a pedestal, but then when we enter into motherhood, it can be such a shock when either the expectations we've had aren't met or we feel like we're in some way not good enough. We in some way don't measure up. And so what I'm asking is measuring up to what? You know, when we say we don't feel good enough, good enough according to who, good enough according to what. And that's where the perfect mother myth comes in as a way to capture that, what we're speaking about. Um, And so it's this idealised standard of what it means to be a mum. And I would ask listeners, have in your mind the perfect mum. What does she look like? Who is she? She's probably married or in a long-term relationship, so she's not a single mum. She's probably white. She's probably able-bodied. She doesn't have disability. Her children are these 
perfect, well-mannered, well-behaved little children who she probably has two of them, (laughs) one of each sex. Um, She probably engages in some form of paid work because she doesn't rely on anyone else for money, but she always puts her kids first. So her work never comes before her children. And, you know, we could spend the whole episode talking about what this perfect mother ideal is, but part of it also is prescribing how she should feel about motherhood. So she loves motherhood. It comes naturally to her. She doesn't struggle. She doesn't lose her patience. She doesn't get angry. Um, She has this sense of this is what she always wanted and it comes naturally to her and she's fulfilled and she's born to be a mother. Mm. So we have these really, really high standards that, by the way, nobody can meet. Um, There is no perfect mother. That's why it's the perfect mother myth. She doesn't actually exist but she exists socially and culturally as a figment and as someone that really haunts our experience of motherhood because we can never actually measure up when we're measuring ourselves according to her. Yeah, and I think it's um, a particularly interesting part of this conceptualization or this myth, mythical creature that she is, is to think about the way um, for so many we can, the, the, well, the perfect mother doesn't become frustrated or she enjoys all of the experience of motherhood. And so we can hint at or joke about, you know, the kids driving us up the wall and there's certainly an abundance of memes and reels on Instagram poking fun at this, but at the heart of it um, is still this reluctance to admit that there are parts of motherhood that aren't necessarily the fulfilling, joyful experience that perhaps we expected it would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, it's really hard because I think, um, the there isn't a lot of room to talk honestly about the experience of motherhood without it being seen as ungrateful mm-hmm. or you don't love your kids. So there's this sense of, okay, I'll qualify anything I'm going to say here by, but I really, really love being a mom and I really, really love my children. Yes. Um, and I think that qualification is really interesting because what it says is that we know on some level that there's a script here that we're meant to follow. And when we move outside of that script, we want to make sure that we're still finding a sense of acceptance to go, but this isn't all of who I am either. Mm. Um, And, you know, something that I think is important to say when we're first talking about the perfect mother myth is to say it's about creating room to speak about all of motherhood. So it's also not to say that, We need to go the opposite and say, well, being a mother is just incredibly hard and challenging and we're going to shame people who feel joy and fulfilment from mothering. You know, the whole point of it is to actually break out of these boxes of how we should feel and talk about the realities of what it is to be a mother. But one distinction that allows us, I think, to do this is to say there's a difference between talking about motherhood, the social and cultural concept, the perfect mother myth I just mentioned, and the context that we mother within. Mm. There's a difference between motherhood in that way and the experience of mothering, the experience of actually building relationship with our children, the day-to-day work of mothering, and the sense of identity that we develop as mothers. So I think that we absolutely can talk about the challenges of motherhood and we need to, while also talking about 
all of the incredible possibilities that mothering also affords us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is such freedom in being able to have those conversations free from disclaimers or justifications to to just be able to accept that things can be and that there is polarity in motherhood and that's fine. That's part of the experience. So um, I absolutely love that point. Now, thinking, though, about this this perfect mother myth that you've talked about, can you explain how this potentially relates to anger that mothers may be experiencing? Yeah, sure. So how it relates is first and foremost that anger isn't part of the perfect mother myth conception. So if and when, it's more likely when because we (laughs) all experience anger, um, when we experience anger in motherhood, that sits us outside of that perfect mother conception. So we automatically know on some level that this is not allowed, that actually this isn't part of what it means to be a mother. Um, And immediately what that can trigger and invoke is actually a sense of guilt and shame, um, a sense of wanting. That's why it is taboo. You know, that's why the majority of the responses you had when you asked that question about taboo topics and motherhood is anger because it's not talked about. And sometimes it's not safe to be talked about either Mm -hmm. because of the judgment we can experience. Um, And so whenever we do experience anger, we self-silence. It's this sense of I can't tell anybody about this or I shouldn't feel this way. And part of what what happens when we self-silence in that way or we deny the way that we're feeling is we we push it down and it almost grows stronger because it's been quelled and suppressed. Um, And then inevitably at some point it will need to be released in some way or another. Um, And that's where we can get into conversations that can feel really hard when we yell at our children, when we snap, when we lose our temper. Um, And those moments, I think it's important to say that those are expressions of anger. That's not necessarily the emotion of anger itself. So that's to say we can create room and space for talking about acceptance of anger in motherhood, normalizing anger in motherhood, understanding how anger in motherhood can actually be really important. And that's different to saying we just need to accept that we're going to yell at the kids, Mm -hmm. we're going to lose it, we're going to, you know, because those experiences can be really scary for them and it's not healthy for our anger to be expressed in that way that has others feeling unsafe. Um, So, again, you know, that emphasis of the end that you mentioned there, Jackie, um, I think that's actually a really important thing for us to understand when talking about anger in motherhood. Mm. And I suppose that's really the the intense value of conversations like this is for mothers to be able to, um, you know, spark thoughts or conversations around things that they may be feeling and by understanding it and understanding perhaps why it's there, how it's manifesting, it puts us in a position of power so that we can do the work or do the thinking and not find ourselves in those situations where we have, you know, snapped and yelled and then, you know, suffered the avalanche of remorse or guilt that comes afterwards. So I think that's a really important part too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something you talk about, Sophie, um, that was perhaps one of those light bulb moments I mentioned, is you talk about the anger-guilt trap. I feel like it would be a good time. Could you explain the anger-guilt trap? Yes. So you just touched on it there, Jackie, when you said that 
you snap, you lose it, you yell, and then you have the avalanche of guilt, the feelings of, oh, you know, I just feel so terrible for doing that. And you have those moments of you're tucking your kids into bed and looking at them sleeping so peacefully and just feeling this wave of regret and guilt about how the day went and almost promising yourself to do better, to try and change things um, the next day. And where this comes in, right, is, is first making that distinction to say that we can actually, how I think we change those moments of losing it and snapping is to allow more space for our anger, not less. Um, and there's a bunch of strategies, you know, that I can touch on at the end uh, if we get time there. But it's to say that actually allowing, doing that work of allowing space for our own anger and bringing in strategies before the snapping that's where we have the space to do the intervention. That's where we have the space to be able to work through our emotions so they don't come out in explosive ways and ways that don't feel good and safe for us and our kids. Uh, But how the anger guilt trap works is that if we go back to the perfect mother myth and part of that is that anger is not meant to be part of motherhood Um, and also guilt oh my goodness guilt is like the topic in motherhood right it's this sense of your mother will prepare to just feel guilty all the time Mm. um and that's for a very specific reason it's because guilt is what keeps us compliant to the perfect mother myth Mm -hmm. guilt is what keeps us in line guilt is like our little security guard on our shoulder saying not quite good enough do better do more, be more. This other mom doesn't act like this. Why, why are you acting like this? You know, guilt is that, um, that voice in our shoulder that's always there. And look, sometimes we need that voice. Sometimes guilt's actually useful. Um, but a lot of the time it's not. A lot of the time it's keeping us subject to this perfect mother myth standard. And so what can happen is that when we are feeling this sense of guilt about oh, everything, right, from what you feed your kids to dinner to the fact that <laughs> you have to go to work, um, to you've put them in daycare, to you've, they've watched some screen time today, you know, like we feel guilt over everything. Um, and what can happen is we self-sacrifice because of the guilt that we feel. So we feel like, oh, I, I'm just not good enough. I need to try harder. I need to try more. I need to do more here. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Um, and this can even be on a, a broader level, right? Like if you're a single mom, I'm a single mom, and you feel this sense of, oh, I haven't lived up to this myth of the perfect mother, I haven't given my child this family, you know, that they're supposed to have, the nuclear family that's seen as the ideal, I feel less than because of that. So I'm going to try and make up for it by sacrificing myself more, making sure my child never does without because I'm going to work so hard to provide for them. Um, So it can manifest in lots of different ways, but this self-sacrificing and saying of yes when we want to say no, the sense of our child asks us for something or someone else does and we go, you know what, I actually really want to say no here. This is a boundary for me, but I'm feeling really guilty and bad and like I should be doing more, saying yes more and sacrificing more. So, okay, fine, I'll let that boundary go. Mm. And what happens over time incrementally is the more that our boundaries are violated in even micro ways, the more resentment we feel Mm -hmm. and the more that we have this sort of simmering sense within us of injustice, 
irritation, annoyance, impatience, a sense of suffocation, like where's my time, where's my space, what about me? Um, And again, a lot of shame can be attached with those feelings. But what happens is after a little while, I think of it almost like lava in a volcano and the lava is bubbling away and there will come a point at which you experience a trigger and that's your breaking point. And this could be something big. It could be something really small. Mm. And that trigger is then what releases the anger. So that's when you snap. That's when you yell. That's when you have that outburst of anger and irritation. And what happens then? You then feel guilty. And around and around we go in this cycle of guilt contributing to feelings of resentment, leading to anger, leading to the triggered release, and around and around we go. Mm. And you can see how it ends up being this trap that's self-perpetuating. And and what I'd say is here in this cycle, in this trap, where we want to try and intervene, where we want to try and support ourselves is at the point of the mum guilt part and at the point of the simmering resentment, not necessarily at the point of the trigger, even though there's lots of strategies we can bring in there. I think actually for long-term change and to really shift our experience of motherhood, we we need to do the work on unravelling the perfect mother myth. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think you touched on the fact that, um, well, I think from the mums I speak with, um, often what they'll say to me is like, oh, you know, I was never an angry person. I wasn't angry before kids. I don't consider myself to be a, you know, volatile, angry person. And I'm not even sure what it was that just sent me sent me off. But I think the key is so often is that it's cumulative. There was all these little incremental things that we let go, let go our boundaries, or we close off those parts of ourselves until it's like the perfect storm and we find ourselves losing it. So that's something to be aware of too. But I think you're absolutely right. While there are things we can do to sort of triage in those moments where where it's gone too far to pull it back, the real work and the, the life-changing work to break out of this cycle is going to happen by, you know, before we get to that point, as you said, Sophie. Mm-hmm. So how do mums do that or where do we begin there? Can you give us some tips? Yeah, sure. So I think actually really acknowledging that the time and the energy that anybody who is listening to this right now is giving, I just really want to honor that because I think often we don't actually recognize how much work we're doing until it's explicitly pointed out to us. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what we do in motherhood is invisible and devalued. So um, I I want to start off by saying that because I think we already have so much on our plate as mums and it can feel like just another thing to add to the plate, right? Mm -hmm. It can feel like, oh, this is just too much. And so sometimes it's not the right time or space or place for us to do this type of self-inquiry. Sometimes we need extra support. So if anger, anger can be a symptom of postpartum uh, mood disorder, maternal mood disorders. And so we might need to reach out to our GP and and get some extra support. Uh, But if we are feeling in a place of, we do feel resourced to be able to explore this a little further. Um, The first thing that I would say is for us to be really explicit about what is the perfect mum in our mind. So who is she? And get really specific about this through writing her down. Write down a list of all of the expectations that a perfect mum has that you've internalised. And it can be a bit of a shock when we see this on paper because so often part of our socialisation and the way that we're brought up means that we take on these things to be normal and just the way that things are. And we don't actually realize until we stop and examine it, 
how heavy these expectations are and how impossible they are to actually meet. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is write down that list. Who is the perfect mother? Get really specific and then look through that list and ask yourself for every single point on that list, is this something that I have inherited? Is this something that has been given to me as an expectation or is this something that I truly value, that I actually really want to integrate into my life? Um, is it possible? Is it achievable? You know, what we might have on that list, well, the perfect mother stays at home with her children and doesn't engage in any type of paid work. She's present all day with her kids. She plays all day with them. Well, is it possible? Actually, right now, no, it's not. I have to work. <laughs> you know, yeah. actually, no, I have to spend time going to the toilet. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes um, it's it's hard because we, we have these expectations on ourselves that we actually no human could meet them, even if we were a super mom. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is the first place I would suggest for listeners to start with, to just get acquainted with what it is that you've internalized and start just questioning, just start curiously thinking about the expectations that you're feeling yeah. in your life when it comes to mothering. And I'll speak to that. When I did this exercise um, with you, I I was actually really surprised when I broke it down and looked at all of these points. It was really um, like illuminating for me to be able to say, well, actually, I don't believe that's true or important or that doesn't align with my values. That's just something I've taken on as my own, as if it were my own, when in actual fact, no, that's not that's not what I think. And so I think that was really um, powerful as well to be able to to look at all of these, you know, discourse or whatever it is that we've taken on and be able to draw the line between what feels right and valuable and true for us and just to let the other things go or to work on letting yeah. them go. <laughs> that's right. And you'll see then that comparison in motherhood, it doesn't actually make much sense, right? If we all were to do this exercise, we all have different values. Like for some of us, actually playing on the floor with the kids is something we we love, we enjoy. We love imaginative play and <laughs> we lose ourselves in that, right? Others of us would be like, that is the last thing I would want to do with my day. So, you know, we, some of us, you know, we have different values. This is the point where yes. when not this same group of just because we're a mother, we all of a sudden have the same loves and interests. Um, We all value different things and that's okay. And that's important. And that means that when you look at another mother who loves the craft and organizes, you know, the outfits for book week and, and does all of that, and you compare her to you and you say, well, I'm not doing a good job as a mom. No, maybe actually you just have different values mm. or maybe she hasn't done this work. She, she doesn't know about the pressures of the perfect mother myth and she's actually really struggling to try and meet all of those expectations. So I think that this is a way for offering compassion to ourselves yes. but also actually offering compassion to other mothers as well. Yes, yes, which is there's such beauty in that and, yeah, one of the most important parts I think of doing this. Um so I'm just conscious of the time, but if we can, Sophie, just touch on how um, anger can potentially play a role or play into the relationship that we have with our children. Yeah, and look, I'll try and be brief because I know this is a big topic, isn't it? <laughs> Such a big topic, um, yeah. It is really challenging because sometimes anger can 
place a big burden on our children because we can blame them for us being angry. So it's this sense of, well, if you just listened, then I wouldn't be angry. Mm -hmm. If you just did this, then I wouldn't be angry. Um, And so I think that the first thing to say is that our anger is our own, that we hold responsibility for our emotions in the same way that our children do for theirs and that that's okay. It's okay to own our anger. We have been kind of trained out of owning our anger since we were little girls ourselves probably because that's not what it means to be a good little girl. That's not what it means to be a good teenage girl. That's not what it means to be a good woman. You know, if you're angry, you're seen as out of control. And actually a lot of the time when we're angry, we're quite connected to ourselves. We're quite connected to what it is that we want and what we think. Um, So I would say let's be curious about where we're placing anger outside of ourselves. So who we're placing as responsible for our feelings of anger or frustration or resentment. Mm. Um, And I think that that can be hard to sit with at first, but to know that it's also an opening. So not to get stuck in guilt if that comes up. You know, we might feel that pang of, oh, yeah, I know that I do that or, oh, I can recognise that within myself, but allowing that pang there to be instructive for us, Mm. um, that this is a a sign pointing us in a direction of change, of movement, of shifting. Mm. Yeah. I would also say that the space that we allow for us to own our anger and be with our anger creates the space for our children to own and be with their anger. Because anger is something we will all feel as human beings. We need to feel it. Anger is important in many ways. Anger arises as a response to injustice, you know, among many other things. But if we can do this work on ourselves, if we can show our children healthy ways to experience and feel and express anger, then that sets up a blueprint for them to be able to do the same, for them to not shame themselves and shun themselves when they feel angry um, and to let it simmer away until they explode. Mm-hmm. And so I think that whenever we are broaching this topic of of anger as mothers and how it may impact our relationship with our children, it's always to remind ourselves again with compassion to come back to whatever we're doing on ourselves, whatever we're able to uh, support ourselves through when it comes to creating space for our anger and expressing it in healthy ways. That's always in service of our children. Yeah. Um, and to know that this is first and foremost for you and the benefits is a, is a byproduct to that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's such importance in, in our children's own emotional awareness and their ability to, um, to, to regulate and to understand and accept their emotions too. So that is a, a brilliant byproduct um, of this work too. Um, oh gosh, this is literally a conversation that could go for hours and hours. So I, I appreciate you, you know, fitting it in. Um, but perhaps just to finish up, you've spoken before about um, the reason that we wouldn't want to get rid of our anger. So many I know that are just, you know, perhaps in a state or, or a place where they're feeling, you know, disappointed or guilt or shameful about their anger, they the intention is or the feeling is that they just want it to go. They don't want to have mm-hmm. that that feeling anymore, which I do understand. But you've spoken about the fact that we wouldn't necessarily ever want to get rid of our anger. Could you talk about perhaps how we can use our anger? And you, you did touch on it just a moment ago, but yeah, how we can use our anger for good, for want of a better mm. term. Yeah. So I think first of all, it's to say that even if we 
It depends how, what our relationship is with anger, right? I mean, I think it's important to just say that if we feel like we're angry all the time and it's something that we can't, uh, we feel is out of control, again, that's a sign for us to reach out for some extra support. Uh, but to also know that we will always experience anger in some way. It's a normal human emotion. It's neutral. And oftentimes our anger isn't necessarily the problem. It's our lack of understanding about why we're angry. Mm -hmm. So in the same way with our two-year-old who is having a huge meltdown and really like screaming at us and so angry and we think about you know the model of Alfie Cohen I know you do a lot of work in this space Jackie of going okay well what's what's underneath that iceberg there like this is the tip this is what I'm seeing at the top but what's the function what's underlying it yeah so to ask ourselves the same question okay this is the tip the anger is here as information it's here as a marker it's here as a signpost what's underneath it where is this anger coming from? What's it connected to? Am I feeling fearful? Am I feeling afraid? Is there grief here for me? Is there challenges in my relationship that I haven't faced? Is my Are my boundaries being violated? Where do I need to set boundaries? Am I feeling not enough in some way and I'm feeling inadequate and anger is a protective response to that? I mean, there's lots of things that can be underlined or connected with our anger. Uh, but I think that if we can see anger as our information and as that little marker of going, how can I be more curious about what's underneath this? That actually is really useful for us. We wouldn't want to get rid of that. Mm. Um, and anger, I don't know if listeners will be able to relate to this. I certainly can with my experience of anger, but you can actually be quite decisive when you're angry. Like sometimes it's when you're angry that you all of a sudden make that decision that you've been tossing and turning about for ages. Um, anger can be a way to connect in with our desires and what it is we want and what it is we need, mm -hmm. uh, what resources we are lacking. All of a sudden when we're angry, we speak it, you know, we speak our truth yeah. and it's not comfortable for others to hear all the time. Um, so I think that if we start to just shift our perspective on anger, instead of seeing it as something that we need to get rid of, start seeing it as something, okay, this is a neutral emotion. How is it being expressed and what is underlying it? And I think they that can open opportunities for us to more deeply know ourselves and to perhaps make some shifts that we've been yearning to. Mm, so valuable, so valuable. And if I could suggest a really good way to do that is through journaling because sometimes it can be tricky if you're new to this kind of line of thought. It can be tricky to think, well, I'm not sure. I don't know what, what it is. But often what happens when we sit down and just start to write and it doesn't need to be structured or well-written or whatever it might be, just to write and often I've found in my own experience, things just start to tumble out and it can be quite cathartic and, and also quite, in, um, yeah, it shines a light, I think, sometimes on things that perhaps we haven't been able to process um, just by thinking about. So that could be a good thing to try as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Journaling is so big here. And and, you know, to connect in with that suggestion, Jackie, if listeners would like to try some sort of prompt, if you feel like anger is too strong of a word because it's been so, it's been connected with such strong meaning in our culture, we can really sometimes feel hesitancy around um, identifying with the word anger. But something you could try with journaling prompts is to use words like fed up mm. or over it or I've had enough of. So what am I fed up with? What have I had enough of? You know, what am I sick of? 
Um, what do I lose it over? So sometimes, you know, prompts like using that sort of language, there can be a lot of stuff that we can unearth through exploring those terms and what comes up in response to them. Mm, good one. Okay. Oh my goodness. So many things to think about. So Sophie, for um, people listening that perhaps this does resonate with and they think, yes, this is this is what I need to be doing or would like to be doing and exploring more. I know you have a course offering. Could you talk a little bit about Bloom? Yeah, sure. So my course is called Bloom, Growing Through Maternal Anger. And part of the reason why I named it Bloom and Growing Through Maternal Anger is because I really want to speak to this sense of anger being the potential catalyst for our growth. Um, it's something that I I know anyone who decides to come into this course, it you need to take that first step, right, to be courageous enough and to be able to identify that this is an area I would like to explore and to work on. Because so many of us, the shame is so potent and powerful that we won't even want to reach out for the help and the support. And so I really want to say for anyone who has made it this far with us in this episode or who is, who is curious about exploring their relationship with anger more thoroughly, I think that that is a huge step in and of itself. Um, but Bloom is a course that takes you through this. So it's a self-study course. Um, and through each module, there are some short video trainings and then there are some reflection exercises for you to work through. So that's there for anyone who would like some more resources and support. Brilliant. And where can people find both the information on that, but also find you? Could you maybe share your socials and your website with us? Yeah, sure. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Sophie Brock. And my website's the same. It's just drsophiebrock.com. Um, and I have a services tab on there with self-study courses. And you can click in there to find um, Bloom if you would like if you would like to. And I also have a podcast, The Good Enough Mother. So those are all the places you can find me. Amazing. All right. For anyone that's driving or walking or otherwise busy um, listening to this episode, we'll, of course, include all of those links in the show notes so you can easily click through um, to connect with Sophie there. Sophie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, for carving out the time. I know your days are very busy, so I really, really appreciate you being here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've loved this conversation and thank you to all the listeners as well who have taken the time to listen. I really appreciate it and really want to honour all of the work that you all are doing in your mothering. It's really important and valuable. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to hit subscribe and also to head over to thekindparentingcompany.com to check out our resources. We hope to see you in the forum soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.